Hi there, everyone. It's Ben Mitchell here, editor-in-chief of Squiggly.com, bringing you another episode of our podcast series, Independent Animation, which serves as an accompaniment to and expansion of the Squiggly book, Independent Animation, Developing, Producing, and Distributing Your Animated Films, with this episode directly tied to the recently released second edition that came out earlier this year. If you've picked up a copy, or at the very least seen images online, you'll have gleaned there's a new cover image. It's from one of the major new case studies in the book, an incredible stop-motion indie short called Salvation Has No Name, directed by Joseph Wallace, with whom Squiggly goes way back. We featured a bunch of his work on the site, we've screened some of it at festivals, he's also contributed articles and guested on a couple of our Squiggly Film Club podcast episodes, chatting about the Henry Selleck films Nightmare Before Christmas and James and the Giant Peach. Definitely a kindred spirit as far as appreciation for the art of stop-motion in general. And in the book we dissect the funding journey of Salvation Has No Name, with its budget cobbled together from the BFI Network, France Television, the CNC, and the Czech Film Commission. It's always stood out to me as a prime example of persistence and resourcefulness, because I have a lot of conversations with folks who kind of give up after the first hurdle when the one funding opportunity they applied for doesn't pan out. And while we can all agree said opportunities aren't plentiful, doesn't necessarily mean you shouldn't bother at all. And Joseph certainly didn't rest on any laurels. Getting Salvation has no name put together. The 17-minute short's official synopsis reads, A troop of clowns gather to perform a story about a priest and a refugee, but as their misguided tale unfolds, the boundaries between fiction and reality begin to fray. What plays out is a nuanced, emotionally charged, and alarmingly evergreen condemnation of xenophobia, othering, refugee crises, and discrimination. It's produced by Lauren Dunn for Delaval Film, alongside Wrapped, Animation People in the Czech Republic, and France's Auteur de Minuit. With support from BFI Network, the film features an all-female cast headed up by Money Heist's Itzia Etunio and Quantico's Yasmin Al-Mazri, with music by Kit Wilson and sound by David Camp, a veteran of indie film sound design who also features in the second edition of the book. The film premiered at the Edinburgh Film Festival, kicking off a strong festival run, partnered with refugee charity Choose Love, who made stops at Annecy, Animage, the Uni France Short Film Awards at Cannes, and recently picked up the prize for Best Short Animation at Animario in Madrid, all of which was capped by an online release via Short of the Week earlier this year. And now both the film and the book are out in the world, I figured it'd be good to follow up with Joseph on what happened next and some of the other challenges that presented themselves during production itself, as well as his approaches to getting the film out there once it was done. So settle in, friends. Let's get caught up with Joseph Wallace, director of Salvation Has No Name. It sort of emerged as an idea in... Now it's getting me fuzzy for me because it's it's been so long. But I think it was sort of 2013, 2014. There was a lot of stuff in the media about the refugee. And well, it wasn't even called, you know, inverted commas, the refugee crisis then. It was, um, it was sort of the beginnings of this rise of nationalism and xenophobia and sort of right-wing extremism. But Bearing in mind this is sort of pre-Trump, pre-Farage, pre-Brexit and everything. Um, happier times, we could say. <laughs> and uh, it sort of happened that I, I wanted to make something about that theme. And I think for me, 
I've sort of discovered recently that I don't really make films necessarily about personal experiences. I make films about things that terrify me. And what I was sort of seeing with the media and with, with you know, what was going on, not just in the UK, but across Europe and in America, like I said, as well, was sort of something scary. And I think probably naively I grew up thinking that racism and sexism and homophobia and all these things were like sort of something of the past that we can only get better as a society and kind of, you know, become more empathetic and compassionate. And I think this kind of realisation that maybe that's that's not the case and that history goes in cycles and repeats itself was was really sort of scary. So it came from that sort of yeah, place of fear and wanting to make something about that. But at the same time, obviously, you know, the journey that the, the refugee woman in the film has gone on is not my lived experience. So it was this sort of strange conundrum from a creative point of view of how do I make a film about this subject matter when it's it's not necessarily my story, but but also, you know, being a filmmaker and being, you know, an artist in this position of privilege in a way. You know, we do what we love and we love what we do. And I make films and I kind of wanted to be able to use that platform to tell a story that a isn't usually told in animation and b was something that could create you know debate and discussion and be a sort of provocation for thought um so that whole sort of process of getting my head around all of that ended up really sort of feeding into the writing process and the film became about um about storytelling in a way about sort of how we consume narratives and how uh how stories are fed to us and how you know people can be sort of painted under one brushstroke and, uh, you know, got into sort of unreliable narrators and that sort of thing. So it was a real process of like finding the ideas and developing that and thinking about real life reference, a lot of reading and, and research and, you know, talking to people. And then that sort of was happening alongside, you know, sort of funding, hunting for funding and things like that. And and so in a way, when, it, when I first started working on it, it was pre-topical then it became incredibly topical and then weirdly it sort of became post-topical and with covid and everything else like the the sort of plight of people who were you know escaping conflict in the middle east became not sort of headline worthy but it you know but it sort of comes around in circles so it's it's strange that i mean strange and sad that the film is still relevant now uh after I don't know how long it's been, almost eight years from the initial concept to sort of getting it actually made, which wasn't the original plan. It was supposed to happen in, you know, a couple of years. And then the lack of funding in the UK and COVID and Brexit and everything else sort of conspired against us. So it was a bit of a crazy roller coaster odyssey getting it made. Yeah. Would you, I don't know if this is even possible, would you be able to kind of recap in brief that roller coaster in terms of like, I guess ultimately getting it off the ground but the various kind of uh, hurdles along the way yeah. so the initial development was kind of me on my own drawing writing talking to i mean the composer kit wilson who i work with on a lot of my projects like he did some sort of early musical sketches i quite like having the composer on board early to sort of have a dialogue between you know music and image so there was that sort of period of development then finding producers spoke to my old friend Lauren Dunn who we used to do theatre together and then we'd sort of stayed in touch over the years and she came on board as as producer probably naively having not done animation before and not really um having a grasp on what 
uh, quite how ambitious Salvation was going to be, but having her on board was sort of key. And then we were applying for funding in the UK, didn't get anything because there was no sort of specific animation funding. This is pre-BFI funding, which is now available. And so we ended up sort of pitching in Europe. We pitched at, actually, no, first I did a development residency at the Open Workshop in Denmark, which was great. And that was sort of a month of love like script writing and talking to people and working with other filmmakers, having the script up on its feet and read out loud. And I was also doing concept art and things. And then whilst I was there, I applied for uh, the Visha Grand Animation Forum, which is now the CEE Animation Forum. We pitched there, won the main prize. Then I went to Animarked, pitched there, uh, re-met with the Czech co-producer, kind of found a way to sort of work with them, got Tim Allen on board there. So there was a lot of like, you know, which I've not really done before, but getting the film out there in the world, usually I sort of make things in isolation in a dark room and then you put it out in the world and share it with people. Whereas with this film, somehow it became about just talking about what I was doing and through that people would be like, oh, I can give you a hand with this or I can lend equipment or you should talk to this person. So it was a really sort of humbling process and, and experience of, yeah, talking about it and then, and then meeting people and having people sort of help out. Um, and then off the back of the pitching forums we then sort of set up the czech co-production and originally like we kind of check money was ready to go but we didn't have any money in the uk so but then we had a private investor come aboard in the uk and that sort of unlocked things it's basically like one person has to put money into the budget and then everything else starts kind of rolling and then we got bfi funding through a kind of prize i'd got for a natural disaster a previous film so and it but the budget not that it was feature film amounts, but the budget looked like a feature film in terms of it was like many pots of money from different places. And then we kind of eventually had enough. We Well, we, we never really had enough. We had something and, and, and Lauren and I were like, okay, let's go. So we started shooting at Ardman and then we kind of just got up to speed and then COVID happened. And during COVID, we did a Kickstarter to sort of, because we'd lost so much money and everything with, with COVID, we did a Kickstarter that enabled us to then find a new shoot space, which we did in Media City in Manchester, we kind of during lockdown, we did the co-production with Czech Republic. So we did the sort of cutout sequences in Prague, which I was supposed to be there in person for. And in the end, I was like in my spare room in Bristol, which is, yeah, which had its own sort of challenges. And then we remounted the shoot in Manchester with, and with the help of the Kickstarter with a much bigger team. Well, I mean, still a small team. It was like 10, maybe 15 people at the most on a given day. Mainly it was, I don't know, maybe like seven or 10 of us, but we had a more sort of, yeah, like resourced crew. And I think without that, we would never have got the film finished, to be honest. And then we shot for, I don't quite remember how long it was in Manchester. I think the, the entire shoot in total between Ardman and and the, the space in Media City was about 23 weeks. So for 17 minutes of animation, it's like pretty quick. Uh, and then the post company we were supposed to be working with pulled out, which delayed a lot of stuff again. And we ended up doing the post-production with a company in Poland. Uh, so that was all sort of done remotely. And then we ended up finishing in about July 2022 last year and then premiered at Edinburgh in August 2022. And then since then, yeah, I've been sort of going around festivals with the film and getting it out there and doing also doing work with the with Choose Love, the the refugee charity who came aboard as our sort of charity partner. So we've been doing stuff with them where we've been presenting the film with other films by refugee filmmakers, but also on its own and having Q&As and sort of, you know, raising awareness about people who are sort of making this journey, people who are in um, in need of support. And so that's been a really humbling thing to sort of do work with the film outside of the festival circuit. But that, I think, is 
a potted history of the profession. <laughs> so when you were at Salford Admin then, they, if I'm remembering right, they weren't sort of attaching a production sense, right? You were just kind of there on the location? Yeah, we were super lucky. I mean, I I think Peter Lord had seen my sort of very ropey early films years ago and had been sort of very complimentary um, about those films. And at that point, I was like, I mean, this is like, I don't know, 15 years ago, and I was like desperate to come and work at Harbin. And he was like, I don't know what you would do at Harbin because you do everything and here everything's very like militant and compartmentalised. And I was like, you know, heck, I'll come and sweep the floor just just <laughs> let me in the door but it never really happened but we sort of kept in touch and i obviously you know went off on my own path and and sort of you know make my strange sculptural adult films and i think pete's always been very lovely and been very sort of you know respectful of what i did and so when i was trying to do salvation he was like you know i'd love to help in terms of resources and stuff and so we we when we shot at arm and we had we were shooting in the in the studio where they shot the wrong trousers. So for me, that's like hallowed ground where you sort of, you know, want to go in every morning and kiss the floor and, <laughs> and everything. But it was, it was really amazing. And they also, you know, they gave us a lot of equipment, which just completely elevated, you know, the sort of cinema of the film. And, it, and even when we went to Manchester, Arben gave us like a van of, of gear, which we used up there. So I'm sort of eternally grateful for that. And I think, yeah, the sort of the way the films realized was, was really down to that that generosity from yeah from pete yeah i think even factoring in you know that level of generosity and the funding that you're able to kind of accrue to me it still kind of falls under the umbrella of you know the reasonably um vast term like independent film did that feel like that was very much the case that you were kind of going it alone in terms of getting a crew together, getting a schedule together, sort of finding the time and finding the resources. Yeah, I mean, it's like very, very much an indie film. I mean, it's funny, actually, just thinking about when we pitched at Animarked, I think people probably thought it was much better resourced than it was because we had sort of Arben's name on there. But obviously, yeah, Arben wasn't putting sort of budget in there. It was like a lot of in-kind support from, you know, we had like, lights from the Quay brothers we had equipment from Arben. malcolm hadley the cinematographer in london lent some gear like we sort of begged borrowed and stole stuff from all over the place we were we were literally you know diving through skips and pulling out old things that were being thrown away and reusing stuff so it was it was a proper sort of guerrilla filmmaking and for the scale of the film i mean probably if you made that you know if, if that was like a french belgian co-production the budget would have been three hundred thousand euros or something like that and we we had you know we had a lot less so it was everyone was working for a, a really sort of meager rate and that that really came down to there was a lot of people i've met over the years in the industry who you know there was a, a shared sort of desire to collaborate but also people came on board because of the story and what we were trying to do and we were lucky in manchester because there were lots of people who you know their careers maybe so far they'd done sort of assisting on isle of dogs and they'd done lots of kids series stuff and this was a film which you know, for all intents and purposes, sort of was uh, aspiring to look like a feature film. It was very sort of cinematic and dramatic lighting and character performance, which is not sort of bouncy Postman Pat stuff. It's quite sort of subtle, uh, character-driven things. So there are a lot of animators who sort of jumped at the chance to work on it because it was something quite different for their reels. Um, so that was really lovely. And we, yeah, we, we sort of, Lauren and I really... Um, 
yeah, worked hard to find a crew. And actually, in the end, there's a lot of names on the credits, which is which sort of again gives this false impression that there were like hundreds of people working on the film. But uh, any it, that kind of came about because you know the rate was so bad. You sort of say to people, "Hey, do you want to come and work on this?" And they were like, "Yeah, for that much money, I can come for two weeks or two weekends or something like that." So we ended up with like a lot of names in the credits because people would come in for a few days and then they'd have to go back to, you know, a, a more lucrative job. But we were incredibly lucky with the kind of people that we did get on board and, and a lot of people, yeah, who really, you know, sort of poured their heart and soul into it for um, for the love of, of animation. Um, and I was kind of, I'm in Spain at the moment. Uh, I've just been at Weird Market Festival and I kind of watched the film I generally try and avoid watching the film because I've seen it so many times and it's always slightly painful watching it. But I watched, I sat and watched it here because I'd done an introduction and it was quite, I sort of felt oddly moved by watching it and just sort of being aware of the amount of painstaking work, you know, that had gone into the film by so many different people, uh, you know, by the kind of the animators, the model makers, the puppet makers, but also the people who did, did the compositing, the production team, you know the cutout animations it was it's like there's so much love and care and attention and craft that went into the film that i'm just yeah eternally grateful to everyone who worked on the piece i think something that people would probably really be interested in hearing is you know when you're in that position and you find yourself kind of looking you know to others to kind of pitch in and uh whether it's you know for equipment or for a few days of their time and their expertise what would you kind of credit as far as like building that kind of network of contacts or building enough of a sort of reputation that people would be happy to hear from you? Would it be sort of like being active on festivals or social media or, uh, cause I know you're just generally just out there. I mean, that's nice to hear. I don't, I don't even know if I have an answer to that. Cause I feel like there were lots of people in this project where I reached out and I was like, I don't even know if they know, who I am or they've seen oh. any of my films or anything like David Camp, the sound designer. I've been a huge fan of his stuff for like years since he was doing stuff for, you know, RCA films back in the day. And, and I remember looking at his website and going, he's never done stop motion before. Or he, or he'd done like one quite experimental stop motion film with Mikey please ages ago. And I was like, and I wrote to him and, and, I, and I said, you know, I'm doing this film and I love your work. And, I don't know whether like a you just never get asked to do stop motion films or b you hate puppet animation or something and he was like no i never get asked this is great i'm really up for it so i think there were lots of things like that where it was just like just having the sort of audacity to reach out to people who i loved and like i said often in the past i hadn't really done that because it always was sort of small low budget projects and and i was sort of doing them on my own or with a small local crew and so for this it, it got it got international well it got yeah it got sort of uh we had a lot of people sort of from all over the uk especially shooting between like bristol and manchester and everything but it also got international quite quickly in terms of the pitching we were doing at the forums in czech republic and poland and then also just sort of funding yeah the like autour de minuit in france came on board so and, and obviously like david was in germany and then the guys in poland ended, ended up doing the post at fixer film so it was like a real v sign up to brexit because we ended up having this big um you know international co-production and it was really about you know european countries coming together to tell this story which is about borders and barriers and all that kind of stuff so it felt satisfying for me in that sense but i think in terms of getting people on board like i i always just think i'm just a massive 
animation nerd. And so whenever I have the chance to talk about animation and geek out with people about their process and their technique, I mean, I, you know, I have shelves and shelves and shelves of books, uh, books about stop motion, DVDs. Whenever I'm traveling, I'm always going to sort of, you know, weird little shops and, and just getting as much as I can and sort of immersing myself. And I sort of make it my job to be like, following people on Instagram and seeing who the new interesting model makers are and who's doing stuff on films that I like. And so I'm often, you know, reaching out to people online and saying, Hey, I love your work. Be great to work with you on something. And then obviously at festivals, then you sort of get to often meet people in, in person. So it's, it's sort of like keeping up appearances and just being passionate and talking with people whose work I love really. And then that sort of enthusiasm ends up circling back round and, and yeah, so we ha- we ended up having a lot of uh, a lot of goodwill and generosity on salvation, which which is it you know feels amazing, and and obviously yeah, the film wouldn't have happened otherwise. So for 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 kind of future projects now, I'm 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 like okay, well this is I guess this is the best approach is that you just talk about what you're doing and tell people stuff's happening and uh, and you know yeah, tell stories and people hopefully get excited about them. Another area I'm really keen on is the whole like perseverance with festivals and getting the film out there and visibility and whatnot. From the outside, I'd say it, it comes across that as a film, Salvation Has No Name, as a film that's performed very strongly. And I was sort of interested, how do you feel about it from your perspective, like on reflection, how it was received? Did people get it? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I'm glad it looks like it's done well from the outside. I mean, this has actually been a learning curve for me. I mean, there's been so many lessons learned from this film, but I think it's, I mean, everything's heightened because of the amount of, you know, blood, sweat and tears and trauma and and time that the film took to make. I think if we'd made it within the original sort of envisaged timeline of sort of doing it within a couple of years, you know, if there'd been a big fund that was like, here you go, here's a load of money, off you go and make it. And we'd sort of run through without, Brexit and COVID and everything else, it maybe I would have had a different sort of perspective on the on you know getting the film out there. But the the way the fact that it did take so long to make and it was such a sort of odyssey and there was so much of my own, you know, yeah, money and time and passion sort of put into it that I it, it the expectations for what it needed to do in terms of my sanity and my career and everything just got sort of higher and higher. So I don't know, maybe it could never have sort of met my expectations, but I certainly felt it's it's a funny sort of duality where you go to events and festivals and things and you catch up with friends and people are like, wow, it's doing so well and it's gone here and this, you know, nominated for this award or whatever, you know, whatever they're sort of thinking. And, I, and I'd be going, oh God, I don't know. You know, I, all, all I'm thinking about is the rejections and the fact it didn't premiere at this place and whatever. So I think it's an interesting process of coming to terms with the fact that I was going, okay, this is like the career defining short that's going to open all the doors. And I've like put everything into this film and I'm exhausted and the poorest I've ever been in my entire career. And this is going to, this is going to sort of open some magical door and then I'll, uh, you know, everything, everything will be kind of sorted. And, and the reality is it's like, actually any film you make is just another film on the festival circuit. And which is which is also like a very oversaturated uh, market now in a way because I, th- I think you know the last time really that I had films going around 
festivals was like 2014, 15. So that's quite a long time ago. I mean, I guess there's music videos and things that have gone around, but that's, you know, it's, it's different. I'm sure music videos are quite good, like program filler and everything. But um, yeah, it's like, there's a lot of festivals and there's a lot of films and it's sort of been a lesson in letting go really and going like, well, one, you know, you have this baby and once you've had it, it sort of goes off and does its own thing. And um, people, yeah, some people like it, some people don't, some festivals take it. You never really know what that decision-making process is. But I think in answer to the, the point about, you know, people getting it, it is quite, uh, uh, I don't know what's the best way to describe it. You know, it's, it's like narratively experimental in terms of it's it's a sort of dramatic you know narratively led piece but it's told in a sort of experimental way and there's mix of mixing of media and everything and uh so and obviously the subject matter is quite um at the sort of front and center of the storytelling but i think the amazing thing has been when you know when it has landed it's it's amazing because we've had sort of incredible responses from people i mean there's been screenings where people have been like crying in the audience at the end which is the most moving thing for me because it's like if you can uh if you can sort of get that kind of response within a, a sort of 17 minute short it's it's just yeah really beautiful to me so it's had yeah I, i've had like amazing emails from people i've had you know we've had a lot of love on social media with releasing the film online as well it's been like just yeah really touching to kind of hear the responses to the film and from people as well who sort of are closer in in their sort of life experiences to what the film's talking about like that's that's really yeah amazing to hear so it's been i think yeah getting the film out there has been as as much of a journey as as making the film itself and, and i think it has you know to be fair it's probably open doors but in a sort of strange backdoor odd way that is probably indicative of my strange upside down career anyway but it's uh it's like yeah it's it's nice being able to have it out there and you know yeah share it with the world really after such a long process of making it yeah well i appreciate your uh your honesty on the the front of like you know focusing on rejections in spite of ourselves like there's a whole section of the book which is like all about like how to not take rejection to heart I still get annoyed though, <laughs> like when, <laughs> especially if it's a festival, like I, re I really just haven't cracked yet. With all the Zen, like sort of wisdom, I've kind of like, it's, it's, there's a sort of physician heal thyself element of it. But I also remember quite like, and I don't know if you found this as well, but when I started making films in like 2008, the success rate for like just getting, doing a festival blast, it was like one in three. So for every, you know, one acceptance, you get at least two rejections. Now for me, it's like one in 10. And I don't think my films are getting worse. You know, like I think they're, they're you know, becoming, I think, more festival friendly-ish. But I just think with Film Freeway and the, the increasing exponential glut of events yeah. that are just like everywhere, and when it's like, you know, kids or people who are just new to, to filmmaking and just starting out, I don't know if I would have been able to persevere with a one in 10 success rate. I would have found that too disheartening. So I think it's important to kind of reinforce that for people who might be listening, who might be embarking on a festival journey or in the early stages of it and not having much luck. 
it's just something you've got to keep cracking on with because like festivals are also like getting swamped. You know, I don't know if you do, do you do much like pre-selection or curation for festivals? I've not done much of that other than doing, you know, the, the film program for the puppetry festival in Bristol back in the day. But now I'm more increasingly doing sort of jury stuff and everything. And it's, um, you know, I think when you're on the other side of it like that, you just realize it's just, it's all completely random and meaningless in a way. It's like, you know, it's so to do with taste and, you know, the mood that a selector might be in or whether something catches them in the first sort of five minutes. And, and it's, it's really not ever to do with the quality of work. It's, 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 it's some, it's some other, you know, realm that you get into. And I think in some ways you just have to be true to yourself. And in some ways now I'm learning that, Possibly I was already, I mean, it took a bloody long time to make the film, but I was, I was possibly already thinking in feature film terms whilst making Salvation. And, I, and it's like, it's sort of a stepping stone film in a way. I mean, obviously it works in its own right, but I'm, I think I threw a lot of stuff at that film and, and in some ways, and actually Laura, my producer was like, I don't know if you'd have ever been satisfied because I think you're, you're already wanting the sort of, you know, press and reach that comes with feature stuff you know which you just don't really get with shorts i mean even with press it's like there's not there's there's obviously you know you guys there's you know squiggly there's a lot of animation press who are you know who are animation specific but but beyond that it's like people a aren't interested in animation and b they're not interested in shorts so it's like it's a funny sort of world to be in when you yeah you want to be able to get the film out and you want to be able to get coverage and things but the 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 sort of formats aren't out there frustratingly don't exist in a, in a in a in a sort of you know in a big way yeah it sort of brings to mind what you're just saying of like an old bit that jim jeffries used to do about just succeeding in his industry which is you know being a comedian and entertainer and there's never really you never really finish you never really reach the end there's like oh all I want to do is, you know, be able to perform in America. Oh, I'm finally getting shows in America. Wouldn't it be great if I was on TV? Oh, I'm on TV. Wouldn't it be great if I had my own show? Oh, I've got my own show, but I don't have my own movie deal. And you're never, like, just happy with where you are. And I think that, you know, I I, I try and be sort of more, like, zen about where I am at any sort of given point. But I, I appreciate that as well. There's always sort of room for more, like, I'd feel, I think, anxious if I just kind of like stopped and I just sort of settled. I think there's probably something positive about wanting more in the sense that, you know, you're not going to tread water for the rest of your life. You're going to keep pushing yourself to do stuff that's you know, bigger and a bit more ambitious. Yeah, totally. And I think you're, you know, that's, that's a really good anecdote because I think your goals are always shifting as well. It's like, you know, you sort of do something and you go, well, I've, I've done that now. What's the next? challenge and i think for me it's always wanting to have projects that are sort of pushing me you know creatively and in terms of storytelling but also career-wise how do i keep doing what i do because i don't do a great deal of commercial stuff that whole scene seems to kind of elude me so my bread and butter has always been sort of teaching and doing talks and workshops and masterclasses and that sort of stuff and rambling on about animation whilst i then make the you know, strange adult films, uh, the rest of the time. So it's, it's, it's a funny trajectory, but, I, but I think, and I remember watching an interview with Terry Gilliam years ago as well, where he was saying a similar thing where it was like, 
there's some interview and they were like, how do you feel about being, you know, super successful, blah, blah, blah. And, and he was like, I don't feel, I don't feel like that at all. It's like, I'm just kind of making stuff and, and yeah, you never feel like you're done. Like you've reached the pinnacle of what you can do. You sort of, I know for me, I'm always, like, by the time we get towards the third act of making a film, I'm, I'm already, I don't know whether it's feeling disillusioned, but I'm already like thinking about the next project and how, how I can sort of, it's like, ah, yeah, this didn't quite work out, but the next one's going to be great. I'm going to do this cool thing with this, blah, blah, blah. So you're always sort of, you know, perpetually in this, in this, you know, propelled motion of ambition and ideas and things. I, I think for me, there's like so many ideas and not enough projects or time to sort of get them all out. And I think also that comes back to that thing of, talking about the network and collaborations like there's so many people whose work i love and who'd like who i'd like to work with that it's like there's just never enough projects to work with everyone yeah in the book we also talk uh with rob monday uh short of the week and director's notes um yeah. a lot of people know those websites as you know websites that have done quite a lot of good work for boosting in the animation uh, and indie filmmakers visibility in general and uh, early in the year, short of the week, premiered Salvation has no name online. And I was wondering if you could talk a bit about how, from a filmmaker's perspective, uh, you build that kind of relationship beforehand and develop a kind of strategy. Well, I mean, yeah, short of the week, I've never been on before, actually. So that was a big, I don't know. I mean, there are mo there's definitely moments where I've, I've sort of felt, you know, elation and danced around the room because it's, that, and there's been a lot of those on this film where you kind of go, okay, this is sort of going places that maybe I haven't been to before. And I think a lot of the shorts before were like, I don't know, they were made in sort of not particularly ideal circumstances. They were sort of, you know, made in my spare time alongside other stuff. They were never like funded. You know, Salvation is actually my first like proper funded film, you know, aside from you know, the commercial work and commissions and things like that. Salvation is the first funded film. So it felt like I had time to sort of tell a proper story. And um, I'd, yeah, I'd sent Salvation to um, Seraphim and Rob at Short of the Week. And they, in fact, not even with a view to sort of premiere it there. I think I just sent them the link because maybe Seraphim hadn't seen it. And then they were like, yeah, great. We want to put this on short of the week. And, and then actually Vimeo, um, like I, I, I'd had, you know, I'd had a relationship with like director's notes for a long time and they'd, they'd always profiled my work and, and done really sort of, you know, amazing in-depth interviews, which was really great. It's just, it's just a nice opportunity to be able to kind of talk about these projects in detail when, you know, they, you're sort of putting them out in the world and, and, and often you don't get that sort of, you know, that, that in-depth conversation. So I always love, you know, being able to talk to squiggly and director's notes and people like that who've sort of, you know, profiled stuff over the years. And with Vimeo, I'd had a really great relationship with them, but actually a lot of the people that I knew that I'd also like met in person over the years at festivals had left Vimeo. Um, and I didn't know Megan and Ina uh, personally, but Megan had seen Salvation at a festival in Rio de Janeiro, I think, uh, which was one that I'd, I'd obviously missed the invitation to that one because I was like, damn, I didn't get to go to Rio. But she'd seen it there and she wrote to me afterwards and, and was like, and it's, it's those kind of emails actually that, that's, that are just super 
touching because she was one of the people who just totally got what we were trying to do. And I think not everyone does necessarily, but when people get it, they really understand what the intention was in terms of this story within a story in this Shakespearean theatrical language and the notion of, you know, stories being told for people by other people and then the drama of the woman coming, you know, out of the narrative to sort of confront the storytellers. And, and Megan had written this really lovely email about how, how she sort of found it super moving and everything. Um, and was like, we'd love to, you know, we'd love to have it on, on Vimeo at some point, just, you know, get in touch when you're thinking about premiering it. So actually, you know, it, it's like the production of the film had so many struggles in it that it was, it was an amazing relief that actually the online side of it sort of happened quite organically. And I think we sort of agreed with Otto de Minui and the distributors that it was, it was probably going to be like more helpful for us career wise and in terms of reaching a wide audience to be able to put the film online. So it's like on YouTube and Vimeo and, and yeah, went out on, on short of the week and everything. So it's just really, and I think by that point, I sort of like, let go a lot of um uh what's the word I let go a lot of you know expectations and things with the film so with the online release it was just like a nice thing to be able to get the film out there to a wider audience and have people sharing it and obviously like i said before you know there are a lot of people who hadn't necessarily seen it at festivals so it's it's really lovely to be able to yeah kind of share it with a wider audience and have that support of those kind of you know the, the, the bastions of short film like you say who really who really do um love shorts as a medium and aren't necessarily seeing them as you know stepping stones to features or or, or whatever which it often can be in the live action world because i think in animation shorts are a medium and a language in and to themselves and should be celebrated as such really well see another uh, area that i think is kind of handy for people who are just sort of starting out that uh, you might have some advice that uh, they could benefit from generally the sort of don'ts when it comes to certain areas and i guess sort of sticking with where we're kind of at like getting your film seen strategizing festivals online releases and i guess they're sort of generally sort of presenting your film to the world is there anything you'd recommend like not doing anything that you would maybe do again differently that's a tough one uh I, I think, I mean, the process for me getting it out there was quite different to what I'm used to because usually I have, uh, and this is probably indicative of a lot of the project, but usually I'm, I'm doing like everything on my own. And for this, we were working with uh, Otto de Minui who were doing sales and then distribution company for festivals. So I think that also took a lot of letting go because I'm usually very on top of you know i mean i've developed a system of like getting films out to festivals over the years and it's like spreadsheets but it's basically google drive is you know everything uh being organized having the sort of you know zippy frames deadlines coming up and things like that but be, being essentially aware of yeah what festivals are happening and um writing to programmers and things uh, which i did do a little bit of on this but Obviously, there was yeah, there was a big, um, big difference having somebody sort of doing that for you and not knowing. I mean, probably in a good way, not knowing quite how many rejections we were getting because I was only being sent the acceptance things. Um, but it's like yeah, being organised, and I think, I mean, this isn't necessarily what not to do, but 
having a sort of united like vision for the film that that there's like the film itself and the tone and the feel of it like both visually and in terms of the you know the kind of themes and everything and and how that can lead into you know i guess it is like marketing really i mean it doesn't feel like that when you're doing it but but the presentation of the film like you say like the kind of you know we the flyers if you're getting flyers made the poster like we had an amazing poster artist called beth morris who's based in wales who was again like many people we ended up working on the film somebody who i'd been sort of made aware of their work on Instagram and was following them and just loved what they were doing. Again, it was a bit like avant-garde, a little bit different, sort of fit in with the sort of feel of the film and what I was trying to do directorially. And she made this amazing poster. Um, and it it was like, yeah, it just worked really well for the film. And so that that was that was really useful. And the trailer and the kind of fonts you use and all that side of it, I think that can that can give people a really good impression of you know, if your film, if you feel really organized and you've got like a cohesive sort of package around everything and you're, you've got your lists of stuff to send out and all your links for DCP and SRT files and all that kind of business. It's like, it's, it's, yeah, you can, you can make life a lot easier if you're, if you're really organized and you've got a, you've got a good sort of, yeah, package to be able to send out to people. So since the online release, I mean, you've been pretty busy this year. It looks like I really got a kick out of the Adult Swim project that you did. How did that come about? That was actually, there's a friend of mine called Martina Kalenietz, who's a Polish animator. And we'd met at Animarkt actually in 2018. And then she came and um, animated for me on the Sparks Brothers doing some cutout stuff. And she'd done an ident for Adult Swim last year maybe and i saw that and wrote to him was like this is great i want to do you know i want to do something like this where you're just getting to do something sort of short and sweet and fun and so she put me in touch with them and um and actually at that point they sort of weren't commissioning anything new but then one of those things where i was like okay well that's that i'm never going to hear from them and then actually the creative exec got in touch um i can't remember when it was now i guess yeah sort of at the beginning of the summer and and, and said you know, we've just been watching a reel and we love, we love the work and everything. Um, you know, would you be interested in doing something? And it was actually the new Gandhi Tartakovsky show, Unicorn Warriors Eternal, that they were just putting out on Adult Swim. And they wanted the way they do the idents now is that they sort of like vaguely tie in to, to sort of one of the new series they're releasing. So. I mean, it was a very open brief. Basically there was like part of the series that was, set in this sort of steampunky Victorian London. And I was like, cool, I like, I like that, you know, that's my jam. So I sort of just pitched something with that. And I mean, it's funny because it's like following Salvation. It's also black and white with a character in a top hat. Uh, so it's sort of, you know, there's a visual parallel there, but the black and white thing, I mean, I remember watching, um, because I, I did this this short film called La Forêt Sauvage, which was this live action puppet film that was done in black and white. But I still wanted to do something with with this, you know, this kind of black and white filming because it, it feels to me like there's a there's a sort of beautiful simplification where you're dealing with like shape and form and tone and removing color and everything somehow. You know, it's like you you get more of a direct interaction with like depth of field and all those other sort of elements, and so. But I was like, oh, I can't do another black and white film. And then I'd gone to 
the Picasso Museum in Barcelona and they have this whole room of like his blue paintings, which was like, I don't know, two years where he just painted in blue. And I was like, okay, maybe it's okay for me to do a few black and white films. So there's a sort of, yeah, there's a visual correlation with Salvation, but it was, it was great because like the brief was very open. It was, it had to be sort of 15 seconds long and, and yeah, vaguely relate to the, the show they were putting out. And so I wanted to do something quite sort of graphic. Um, and again, like it's like carved textures and puppets and things, but for this similar with salvation, because I used to make everything out of cardboard. I was always, you know, a lot of the early films and music videos, everything's corrugated cardboard painted with acrylic paint. Um, and recently I've been, I mean, it's, it, it looks great on screen, but it's kind of a bit of a nightmare to interact with when you're animating. So more recently I've been making everything out of wood. So that's led into another sort of, um, aesthetic period which is coming from yeah the sort of tactility of wood and so for this i built this like false perspective set but it was like super i mean it, yeah it was it was kind of you know a low budget project so it, it was it basically after salvation when there's a big team of people it was me going back to doing almost everything on my own there was like one model maker who helped with the set a friend of mine made the chair because i had to go to annecy and i was like running out of time to do everything and then another friend robin jackson who's an amazing rigger and actually has, that's somebody else like i wanted to work with for a long time he sort of put the armature together and made me a lovely rig and i'm always saying to people like i didn't animate on salvation and i i don't i sort of tend to only animate out of necessity now but actually with the adult swim thing having this armature i mean it was quite a simple armature but it was like a few ball and socket joints because you really only see the character from the from the sort of waist up because he's behind this desk and it, so it had like wire legs and I had ball and socket arms but having that ball and socket armature and having this rig from Robin who's worked you know on all the Tim Burton Wes Anderson films and everything suddenly then animating became a lot easier than my previous experiences of animating and I hadn't really animated for quite a while but um it was it was it was just great having this puppet that moved really well and I had this rig so I could get quite subtle movements and stuff. And there was a lot of like business with the character sort of writing this letter and dipping a pen in ink and doing stuff with wax and folding the paper up. And I was like, oh my God, this is going to be an absolute nightmare to animate. This is usually the kind of shot I'd give to somebody else because I wouldn't want to do it. But with this, I just had to animate everything. And actually it was really fun. Um, so yeah, that was quite a nice project. I mean, it was made incredibly quickly and shot in my dining room uh with you know just a few a few lights and um and one set but it was nice and i would like to do more of that kind of thing alongside you know the bigger projects where i'm sort of working with other people yeah. just manifesting that putting that out into the ether <laughs> i also gather that you're in the early stages of another new project and is this one more live action puppetry Ah, yes. Yeah. So right now I'm kind of in production on one animated short, which is funded by the British Council, which I haven't put much out about yet, but I, I'm aiming to finish it before Christmas. So I will be putting more on Instagram about that in the coming weeks. Um, and then I'm also making a live action puppet film in the vein of 80s fantasy jim henson terry gilliam all the all the good stuff that we grew up on uh which i'm i'm co-creating with cat johnson who is an amazing 
puppet maker, model maker, illustrator who worked at Leica for a long time and, and is now back in the UK. And we're sort of in, we're in pre-production on that and all going well, we'll shoot that next year. But that's, that's super exciting. It's, it's, it's similar, I guess, process wise in the pre-production and that we're storyboarding and we're doing the voices and everything else and the puppet making is similar to making animated puppets apart from we're making sort of big life-size creatures but the difference with animation is that instead of the shoot being months the shoot is going to be i think about five days uh so it's it's a sort of foray i mean i've done little bits of live action over the years but this is more of a um yeah a sort of proper foray into directing live action uh with yeah puppeteers and working with a, a sort of more comprehensive crew on that well, I'm interested to, to see how both of these turn out. I also was sort of, before we kind of wrap up, I was kind of interested in if there's anything that you're interested in, like anything um, going on in animation or upcoming film, stop motion puppetry, anything that's kind of like got you intrigued or you're looking forward to, or maybe something recent that's come out. I mean, I always have this kind of desire that we're going to see a shift with uh you know international audience relationship with animation in terms of you know i don't have a particular interest in doing stuff for young audiences i'm i'm really interested in sort of telling adult stories on screen i guess at a, at, at a feature film level is sort of what i'm pushing towards now so i think things like the house and you know, and then to, I guess to another extent, you know, Wendell and Wilde and Pinocchio and things like that are, are really exciting to me. But, but also at the moment, I'm really interested in, yeah, sort of mixing media and how we can interact animation with live action and puppetry and animatronics and how those languages can sort of, you know, create new ways of telling stories on screen. Um, I'm super excited for the new. Claude Barras film, uh, Sauvage, that looks really exciting. And I loved Mavi de Courgette and everything he did with that in terms of, yeah, the sort of themes and the storytelling. And again, like that is, I guess, a film for young audiences, but it deals with quite adult themes. And what else have I seen recently that's exciting? I feel like I will get off the podcast and then think of 10 things that I could have reeled off. But I mean, at the moment, I'm looking at a lot of, um, concept art and illustration stuff actually because i'm alongside the two shorts i'm also developing a, a feature film so i've been looking at a lot of reference for that i think often when i'm looking at inspirations i'm often like looking backwards so like you know for the for the fantasy short i'm going back to the 80s and we're watching all the old you know labyrinth and dark crystal and legend and those kind of films and the feature that i'm working on is a stop motion Western for adult audiences. So I've been watching a lot of the like John Ford stuff, the spaghetti Westerns. Uh, yeah. And that's, uh, so I'm often just like watching old films other than when I go to festivals and get a chance to look at, um, you know, new shorts and things. But, uh, I don't know. I just love watching all sorts of different kinds of cinema really for inspiration and drawing from you know, different periods and things and trying to kind of break down the languages of storytelling and see how things can be sort of reinvented and, and especially like 
when you're looking at live action conventions, how you can then translate those to animation and what animation can bring to that from a sort of dramaturgical point of view. So the feature then, it's very early days, I would assume. So is that something that's gotten some interest as far as things that would be able to actually get it, get the wheels turning on it? Yeah, I mean, I've been working on the feature for, I guess, about two years on and off since we were sort of in production on the Salvation. And it came about in a way because, I mean, I'd done a theatre show in the past years and years ago, which was, uh, which was a Western and which sort of was very inspired by, yeah, all the films I'm, I'm sort of talking about, but, but was a, 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 a theatrical adaptation of that. And it's a genre that I really love. And that's been met with recently um, a sort of political reflection about contemporary America. And so that sort of emerged into this film. So again, it's like often coming from different um different angles, you know, and ideas sort of appearing from from uh different things that I'm thinking about and concerned with. And and it partly came from being on the set of Salvation. We had, you know, there's a it, Salvation sort of set in this southern Mediterranean netherworld, but it, it draws a lot of inspiration on from like southern Spain and southern Italy. And we had a set which was almost like a desert with mountains in the background. And there was a shot where all the characters were sort of lined up and I was like, wow, it looks like the Magnificent Seven or Seven Samurai or something like that. One of those Kurosawa films or, or, or an early Western. And I was like, God, it would be great to do a Western stop motion because it's like the textures of stop motion are perfect. Wow. You can have, you know, real sand and wood and everything else. And so there were a few factors that sort of fed into it. And, um, and yeah, it's been developed over the, over the last couple of years, uh, on and off. And, it's hard to know how much to say about it because I, I listened to a, a, a podcast, an interview with Edgar Wright recently, and he was like, I never talk about upcoming projects because if it doesn't happen, I get really upset. And then, <laughs> and then, you know, conversely, I said to you earlier about how I think now when I talk about things and tell people I'm doing stuff, that seems to like create energy behind the project. So, so far with the, with the feature, I mean, I, it feels like, you know, talking earlier about sort of fraudulence and all that sort of stuff, I was like, you know, I, I always saw Salvation as being this sort of, piece that demonstrates a certain kind of storytelling to hopefully move towards features but it's like how do you know when you're ready for that as an artist but it also it's like well we're not getting any younger so I, I i need to kind of you know why not try and do this and so far no one said to me what are you thinking there's no <laughs> way you can do a feature film and actually the response has been really amazing and the, the story because it's an adult animated feature and that's like a big hurdle you know, before you even start. Um, so the story is like really crucial. Um, so it's like, you know, it's a genre piece and it has quite a dramatic cinematic narrative to it. Um, and I, and as I've been sort of pitching it, I mean, I was talking to people at Berlinale in February, I was talking to people at Annecy and we, we have some producers on board now, which are, uh, yeah, I'm like incredibly excited to be working with. So, and, and yeah, and so I pitch it at Animarked this week. So I guess by the, yeah, by the time the podcast comes out, we'll, we'll see, yeah, what's going to happen off the back of that. But hopefully I'll be able to, yeah, make some more connections and find partners for, uh, sort of continuing the development and then getting into, uh, yeah, more, more of a sort of, um, 
energized production process but it's it's yeah it's super exciting and there's a lot of people who are interested in in coming on board and working on it so that's um yeah really again it's a sort of humbling sensation and it, it's it's just yeah it's all about sort of having a story that is interesting and different and again like with salvation trying to do something that's a sort of story that's not told in animation very much and the the, the dream really is that you know people will go and see it who you know they know it's not a kid's film and it's 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 sort of hopefully we can we can try and catch people who are um you know just interested in cinema and stories and art and sculpture and everything and make something that that can go towards you know changing those kind of audience perceptions and it feels like a good time i think with everything you know guillermo del toro has been doing promotional wise around stop motion with pinocchio and and the house and some of the stuff that the streamers have been doing it feels like the right moment to be pushing to do yeah more adult animation in the mainstream fantastic well i wish you all the very best of luck with that and fingers crossed we uh we see and hear more about it soon um but joseph thank you so much for catching up with me today it's a pleasure thanks for having me and many thanks to Joseph Wallace for chatting with us about the unique journey of Salvation Has No Name. You can check out the film as well as his other work at josephwallace.co.uk. And Joseph was speaking to me from the Animarked Stop Motion Forum, and shortly after our chat, one of his new project pitches, The Vandenberg Sisters, a proposed 90-minute feature film, won itself the Annecy Prize, so knock wood that'll foretell good things to come. Synopsis reads, After their husbands are killed by renegade landowners, twin sisters Martha and Magda are forced to leave their homestead and begin a new life beyond the mountains. But their past soon catches up with them, and they find themselves at the centre of a complex and violent triangle of revenge. So keep your eyes and ears open for more on that. In the meantime, I've been Ben Mitchell. You can follow me on Instagram at Ben L. Mitchell and Facebook.com slash Ben Mitchell Creative. Don't forget the book Independent Animation, Developing, Producing and Distributing Your Animated Films is available wherever you get books. It features insight from Joseph Wallace as well as dozens of other indie animation legends such as Bill Plimpton, Don Hertzfeld, Signe Bauman, Rosto, Chris Shepard, Pez, David O'Reilly, Kirsten Lepore, Robert Morgan, and those are just off the top of my head. So go sniff it out. You'll be glad you did. And for all your animation coverage needs, you can find Squiggly on Instagram, at Squiggly, Facebook.com slash Squiggly Magazine, and at Squiggly on <sighs> X. And as ever, the website is Squiggly.com. Until next time, happy independent animating. Mm -hmm.